It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, a strong person is the one who knows how to be quiet, shed a tear for a moment, trusting in God, having faith, and then picks up their sword to fight again. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels. Download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough Seek Your Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions available on our individual episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what's on the table today? Well, this is the first part of our three-part Warriors of God series. And our question for this episode, how can I be a giant slayer like David? And our theme text is found in 1 Chronicles 14, verse 17. Then the fame of David went into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations. Okay, so how can I be a giant slayer like David? Well, that's kind of a tall order, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) What do you envision when you think of a warrior? Someone engaged in conflict or struggle? Maybe a soldier, discipline, a fighter, training, bravery? King David was one of history's great warriors. He possessed all of those warrior attributes, and yet he was also a shepherd, a poet, a musician, and a songwriter. He was tender-hearted and humble. He was faithful and loyal to God, yet guilty of serious breaches of confidence that God had placed in him. He ascended up to the heights, but also descended down to the depths. He gained divine approval in many things and also received severe divine condemnation. He was wholly devoted to God, but also indulged in sins of the flesh. So coming up in today's podcast, it's about fear and it's about courage. Well, we all have fears. We may not want to admit it, but sometimes they are monstrous, giants even. How do we cut those fears down to size? In segment two, it's going to tell us how, through the literal story of defeating a literal giant. Did you ever think about how to build a legacy of faith and courage in your life? David was courageous and faithful, and a man at a very young age. What were his secrets? Well, segments three and four show us the world-changing power of the friendship and loyalty that helped to build David's legacy. How do you handle it when everything you're supposed to become seems impossible? What if it continues like that for years? Well, segment five shows us David's remarkable tenacity and focus during his years as a fugitive. Rick, David's story is the story of every man, illustrating what God can do with our weaknesses and failures. So to bring the story of David to light, Julie, you're with us. Why are we talking about David anyway? Hi, gentlemen. It's so good to be talking about this subject because there's so much to learn. And, you know, our last few months of podcasts have been pretty heavy We've gone over burnout and the coronavirus, anxiety, depression, and coming up, we're planning a very important episode on racism. So we thought this would be a good time to recenter, rebalance, 
refill and get strong to get back out into the world. And there are so many relevant lessons for us today from the life of David. So over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into six stories from his life and peel back the onion to uncover deeper lessons from the stories we thought we knew so well, or that maybe we remember hearing from Bible class. And these lessons we'll, we'll share on the podcast definitely stopped us in our tracks when we were preparing for this. So we are very excited to share them with our listeners. And, you know, many stories about David are great for children to learn about. So I wanted to let you know, we've created two very special CQ Kids videos called Who is David? Parts 1 and 2. And you can find those at christianquestions.com slash YouTube, christianquestions.com slash YouTube. And there you'll find an entire library of CQ Kids videos for kids, parents, homeschoolers, or Bible class teachers. Great resource. Well, we have a disclaimer for this episode. David's life is full of killing and war. He was responsible both directly and indirectly for hundreds of thousands of deaths. He was authentic to the time in which he lived. While we acknowledge the authenticity of David's time and place as being the barbaric culture of the Old Testament, we don't condone it. This next quote is from the Life Application Study Bible. David's job was to unify and lead Israel and destroy its enemies. This would require David to shed a great deal of blood. And we do have a previous podcast, episode 779, uh, Does the Same God Rule in the Old and New Testament? There's part one, and then episode 783, part two, will address some of that authenticity of time and place and the little bit of the brutality that you see in the Old Testament. So if you go to christianquestions.com, just type in 779 or 783, and you can find those podcasts. Okay, so we've got some background. We've got the disclaimer. Yes, the, the Old Testament is, is full of lots and lots of, of, of very difficult things. So when we look at the, the, the study of David's life, there's several reasons why we're going into that. We've got four reasons to get us started. Jonathan, what's the first one? The Bible provides many individual stories about all phases of his life. Okay, so the Bible talks about David incessantly, and so we really should too. Julie, what's another reason? Well, the Bible repeatedly says that Jesus is David's descendant. Um, sorry, yeah, Jesus is David's descendant. And so um, we also look at many of his experiences and the writings of David, and we see that they represent the life of Jesus as well. So anything that points us to Jesus, it's worth the Christian studying. Okay, so David does a lot of pointing to Jesus. Jonathan, next, next uh, reason. Well, he is referenced many times in the New Testament, and is being hailed as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11.32. And you've got somebody being hailed as a hero. Scripturally, you want to understand why. And Julie, the fourth reason. Well, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. So this makes him worth studying and emulating because, well, any Christian would want this description said about them. Yeah, you know, that's such a powerful thing. And to, to think a man after God's own heart. When I grow up, that's what I want to be. And yeah. so that's a, it, there's a lot of very important reasons to go into the life of David, even with all of the difficulties and the sins and, and, and the bloodshed, because there's so much to learn. Here's the thing. David epitomized bravery, but he also experienced fear. We, we always think about David, the brave, courageous individual, but he did experience fear. Bravery is boldness in the midst of fear. Psalm 55, 5 and 6 give us a, gives us a sense of 
of some of that fear, because David was very good at expressing himself. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. If I could only just fly away from it and just leave it behind. How many of us have had that experience when we're dealing with fear and trembling? I just want to get away. David was like us in that. He had that sense of, if only I could. David also epitomized loyalty and faith. Samuel, the prophet, proclaimed that David was a man after God's own heart. This is where that phrase comes from in 1 Samuel 13, uh, verse 14. And this is when Samuel is talking to King Saul and telling Saul, your reign is going to be over, God is going to leave you because you've been disobedient. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So this is a powerful thought, that Samuel's telling the king, the very first king of Israel, you're, being, you're going to be cut off from God's favor, because God has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And that man was this very young man, David. And this is where we're going to be starting with these lessons. So we've got giant overviews, you know, you know focusing uh, on the, the— Wait a minute, giant overviews? <laughs> yes, we do, because it's the giant thing, it's the giant story. So the, the giant overview lesson from David's life, Jonathan, just as, as we've done this summing up, is what? When facing your Goliath, know the battle is the Lord's. Realize how simple that statement is. When facing your Goliaths, Know the battle is the Lord's. If you realize the simplicity of that statement, you can begin to delve into the depth of what David stood for. So, Julie, let's get some context now as we begin to look at the pieces of David's life. Okay. Well, first, we really recommend that everyone grab your Bible, read First and Second Samuel, those two books. You've probably read them before, or if you haven't, Grab them, use an easy-to-read translation just to get a feel for the stories because there's so many rich details that we will not have time to cover. So with our first story here, the when facing your Goliaths, know the battles, the Lord's, the first king of Israel, Saul, is on the throne. But because of crucial disobedience, God tells him, as Rick said, through the prophet Samuel, he's going to lose his kingdom. So Samuel anoints young David, the prospective king of Israel. And it's going to be many years until he actually becomes king. And once he's anointed, he goes back to tending sheep. And through a series of events, he finds himself in the court of Saul as kind of a royal musician. He plays music for King Saul to soothe his temper. And at the beginning of Saul's reign, Saul obeyed God and he prospered militarily. But then he started doing things his own way and began to be defeated by Israel's enemies, often the Philistines. So Saul started to become bitter, quick-tempered, unsure of himself, and became very paranoid. So it's at this point we're going to start our story. So it's interesting that Saul becomes paranoid, and we're going to see that develop as we go through the story. There is a lot to the demise of King Saul, and Julie, is, as, as Julie mentioned, you know, David's anointed, but it's many, many, many years where Saul stays on the throne in this really painful demise that's very, very costly to everybody. So this is the beginning context of the story of David, the giant slayer. So what do we have? A teenager chosen to replace Israel's very first king. It's so easy to see that trouble lies ahead. 
David is obviously a very young man who was chosen of God. How does he end up fighting a giant? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. In all the experiences of life, there are very unexpected twists and turns. King Saul was now on a path to losing God's favor, but that didn't mean Israel had to go down that same road. David would be the man tasked with holding Israel close to God. This arduous journey was to begin with a giant challenge. And yeah, we're going to be using the giant thing throughout this whole podcast because the first big event of David's life is, is, is a very significant thing. So let's, let's put the context in place. Israel was in trouble. This is interesting. And folks, this is one of those little Bible facts that we probably haven't known much about. The Philistines actually had tight, con- tight control over the nation of Israel at one point, and they had a complete monopoly on iron smelting in order to prevent them from making weapons. The Hebrews had to go into Philistine territory to get farm implements sharpened and were charged a very high price. And we know this from 1 Samuel 13, 19-21. Now no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fix the hose. Now, I never knew this detail, and this gives us an insight into just how beat down Israel was where they're so completely controlled by the Philistines that they can't even sharpen their own farm equipment, let alone try to cobble together some weapons. And, you know, I was thinking, what's the deal with these Philistines? And what? so we wanted to give a soundbite just to give you a little bit of why they were such a, a problem for Israel and why they were such a problem specifically now for Saul at this point. We have a reading from the book called King David of Israel by Albert O. Hudson. Just a a quick paragraph about the Philistines. The Philistines had always been a thorn in the side of Israel. From the days of the entry into the land, they had been there, occupying the strip of land along the seacoast, more or less in the area that is now known as the Gaza Strip. They were an alien race, hailing from the island of Crete, tall, muscular men, arrayed in armor and equipped with weapons that the Hebrews could not equal. Saul had already had one encounter with them in the early part of his reign, in which he gained the victory so that there was a period of peace from their attacks. Unfortunately, on that occasion, he had exceeded his authority in the matter of offering a sacrifice to the Lord, and Samuel had strongly reproved him. Then he had what appears to be a second chance when he went out to do battle with the Amalekites from the southern desert. Again, he was found guilty of flagrant disobedience, and it was on this occasion that it is said that the Lord formally disowned him. Now he was faced with the Philistine menace again, but this time the Lord was not with him, and he knew it. 
The victory this time, if victory there was to be, must be gained by his own might and that of his army. It must have been with a heavy heart that Saul prepared for the conflict. So this gives us an important sense of why we are going to find Saul so indecisive on the battlefield and really unable to lead or inspire his men against the Philistines. He knew he was no longer in God's favor. And it seems like we'll read in the story that he just froze, just anticipating that he would lose because now he was on his own. No more God on his side. And it's interesting in that in that uh, soundbite, in that paragraph, it talks about Saul had two chances. And it really is remarkable that after being uh, uh, disciplined the first time by Samuel, he goes ahead and, and, and falls down. And, and last week we talked about obedience and sacrifice, and the key scripture was Samuel telling Saul to obey is better than sacrifice for that entire podcast. So this is a fitting follow-up for that. And we just see how he's falling down, falling away from God. Meanwhile, the teenaged David was too young to fight in the army. We know this from 1 Samuel 17, 23 to 54. They're, this, they're getting ready for this battle. But David's father asks him to take provisions to his brothers who were fighting. So David, because he can't fight, he's going to do everything he possibly can to support. He arrives at the front lines. You know, and I always wondered why it was a fight between David and Goliath. We have two huge armies sitting on opposite sides staring at each other. But apparently, sometimes armies in this era would pit their strongest warriors against each other in order to save bloodshed. The winner of the one contest would be the winner of the battle. And Goliath, you know, from these Philistines, taunted the Israelites, challenging them to present their best warrior to this big fight. And we find in 1 Samuel 17, 16 in the New Living Translation. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giants strutted in front of the Israelite army. Okay, 40 days strutting. That's all you need to know. Yeah, you know, and he's a giant, okay? He's a big, big, big man. And so you've got this sense of warrior versus warrior, and you bring out this monstrous individual. And this is why we're calling our lessons giant lessons, because this is a, a visual that you just, it, it makes it easier to absorb the lessons we're trying to talk about. So Jonathan, at this point, what's a giant lesson for us here and now? Few things are more persistent and intimidating than giants of our fears and our worries. Giants might also be pride, distrust, doubt, and skepticism, downward tendencies of our flesh that must be beheaded. If we tolerate a Goliath, he will move into our camp, dominate our thoughts, and push out our focus on God. We cannot afford to tolerate giants. We need to kill them. And so it's not a matter of saying, oh, it's okay, I can deal with a little bit. It's th- this was an all-or-nothing thing. And, th- and that's why this battle is such an important picture, because you either win the battle or you lose the battle, and your nation stands or falls based on what you do. So there is incredible stress and pressure here, and this is a giant lesson for us to, as we look at our lives, to take out those things that would be giants to, 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 to fight against our godliness. It's not so easy. We don't have the slingshot. We can't hit it in the forehead, and then it's done. 
but it's something that we want to look to. So, back to the story. We know the story. David went to King Saul and convinced him to let him fight. Now think about this. This 17, 18-year-old kid convinces the king of all of Israel to let him fight the giant, okay? David took five smooth stones from a stream and hit Goliath on the first try with his slingshot right in the forehead. Goliath fell to the ground, and David used Goliath's own sword to cut off his head. He is victorious. Well, God guided David's hand with a slingshot and stone to hit Goliath in the one vulnerable place that wasn't protected by his helmet. Rick, David had courage to let God fulfill his will. Turning things over to God takes courage, which is a great lesson for us. It is. And, you know, one of the things we have to realize is, and we will see this as the story unfolds, is David's continual faith delivered him in in situations that looked highly unlikely. And that's a big lesson for us, because our continual faith can deliver us through highly unlikely circumstances as well. Not on a physical battlefield like David, but in the, the battle of our lives where Satan is working on our minds. Now, the interesting part uh, is in the details of David's motivation to take such a risk, because this was an enormous risk. Let's look at 1 Samuel 17, 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Think about this. The kid, he's younger than all the soldiers. The kid says before he goes to battle, who is this man, this uncircumcised Philistine, taunting the armies, not of Israel, not of King Saul, the armies of God? David's personally offended that someone would go up against God and his people. This is a show of the core of his strength, taunting the armies of God. And look at the difference. You know, we talked about Saul. Saul was now, he had no faith. His confidence was shattered. He's the king. And this guy's strutting for 40 days and 40 nights, demoralizing the army. And yet here comes David with all confidence because he's fighting for the, for the living God and because his focus is on God not on Goliath. So David's talking to Saul, convincing him. So David speaks up, and here he's presenting his case to personally fight Goliath. And again, he's talking to the king, and they're in the encampment for the battle. First uh, Samuel 17, 36 and 37. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord will who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. So, so here we have a couple things. David establishes his loyalty to the king, um, which is interesting because he knew that at some point he would be king. He recites his past valor and his fearlessness of anyone who taunts God because there was an issue earlier in the story where he had fought a lion and fought a bear and God overruled for him. And he has unequivocal faith in God to deliver him and his people from this Philistine. And David might have been thinking, what giant? You know, the only giant in my life is God. And that's a dwarf over there, Saul, because God looks at the heart and he's omnipotent. And if he's on my side, I can't lose because he remembered those victories over the lion and the bear. And that gave him this courage to fight Goliath, which just kind of blows my mind that this young teenager has that sense of, 
if the Lord delivered me now, the Lord will deliver me then. And, and, and you know, it blows your mind that anybody has that kind of courage, much less somebody that young. But again, you see the heart of this young man. Again, Jonathan, another giant lesson here. Most of us can recite the failures of our lives in vivid detail, but not the victories God has pulled off in our past. So, Rick, why is it we remember our failures and not our victories? Is it a bad thing to remember our victories? Is it, is it a pride thing or is it a praiseworthy thing? You know, Jonathan, I think we do get that backwards. This is a really important question. Most of us can recite the failures that we've gone through and we have a hard time reciting the victories. Why is that? And I think a lot of times we look at it and say, well, you know, it could be a pride thing. I don't want to do that. Really? Let's think about this. Victories in the past, what are they? They are deliverances of God. So why wouldn't we want to go and say, these are the things that God delivered me through. Praise God for that. David focused on how God had continually delivered him, and that built up the momentum to say, and he will deliver me again in an appropriate battle for an appropriate cause against an, against an enemy that stands and mocks God Almighty. So it's important to put it all really in perspective. And Rick, David was a teenager. He was young when he slew Goliath. He showed confidence. And that reminds me of Jesus when he was about 12 years old in the temple talking with the doctors of the law. I love that parallel, the young hearts of, of both. Yeah, and, and you know, and Jesus is, is, I mean, he leaves his family behind and he's lost for a couple of days, but he's doing what he needs to be doing. David was doing what he needed to be doing. Both of their hearts were saying, God first, God first, God first. So with nothing to lose, Saul allows David to fight. David goes to meet his foe. Now Goliath is sneering at David and curses David by the name of his gods, but David stands in faith. And Jonathan, just a quick moment here, just to, you know, you got to get the visual of this giant who is said to have been maybe around nine feet tall, and David, who knows, maybe... Uh, five, 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 eight, something like that. You know, Jonathan, remember when we used to do the podcast, the podcast was a radio uh, a program and, and Fred, the guy behind the board. Oh yeah. Fred, Bro- brother Fred. Now brother Fred was about six, it's about six, four. I'm about five, four. And if you, you saw pictures of he and I standing together and it's hilarious. It is funny. Cause I look like I'm his 12 year old son. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but you know, you, you look at that with gray hair. I mean, who, who can figure that out? But anyway, <laughs> but you look at that and you say, well, but add a couple of feet more to that. And you, and it's ominous how big the difference is. But David is not driven by the fear of the size of the man. He's driven by the strength of God's providence in his hand. It's first Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. That is powerful, powerful words on his part. Goliath was defying God and taunting God's people. Uh, He seemed to have every right to do so because he was the biggest and the strongest, and nobody had answered his call for 40 days. So he's strutting in the sense that he's got the right. God was the source of power for David. There are times when we must battle forces that oppose God to and the truth in a face-to-face manner. Sometimes we have to be willing to stand face-to-face. In this case, it was face-to-kneecap. But, you know, face-to-face <laughs> against the enemy, and that's what David did. There's a really good quote here, Julie. I'm not sure where it's from, but what is it? 
Oh, it's anonymous, but this is one of my favorite quotes. Ready? The army of Israel looked at Goliath through the eyes of man and said, he's too big to beat. But David looked at him through the eyes of God and said, he's too big to miss. <laughs> oh, I love that. And right. hey, I think we can maybe find a picture of Rick and Fred that we will put in this week's CQ Rewind show notes. Every week we go ahead and transcribe so that we take the notes for you with every scripture and a lot of our dialogue and the um, and some graphics. And we'll see if we can drum up that photo. Just go ahead to christianquestions.com and you can register for our weekly newsletter and get CQ Rewind delivered to your email every week. And let's just clarify, Fred is no Goliath. He is a wonderful servant of God. Okay, just want to <laughs> make sure we, we make that point. So, Jonathan, w- what's our giant lesson here? David's eyes were not on the giant. They were fixed on God. And for more on the David and Goliath story, please see episode 929, How Do You Define a Hero? Okay, so now... For each of these lessons, we want to briefly look at the corresponding piece of armor of God. You know, the, the pieces of armor of God are given in Ephesians 6. And, you know, again, we go back to that first lesson, that overview lesson, which we're going to come back to. When facing your giants, know the battle is the Lord's. So, Julie, the armor of God, let's take the first piece of armor and look at it in relation to what we're talking about. Okay. Well, for the Christian, Ephesians six seventeen tells us about the helmet of salvation. And 1 Thessalonians 5.8 calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. So the helmet protects our head, our mind, our intellect. It's the control center for the entire soldier. And how fitting that this protection is made of salvation. Because we have to have this intellectual acceptance and understanding of the ransom of Jesus on our behalf. And with this understanding in place, we're able to truly focus on the battle at hand. And the ransom is so important here. God's justice was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. A perfect man for a perfect man was required by God to fulfill justice. Adam disobeyed and brought sin and death to all mankind. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And at his death, that payment ransomed Adam and his posterity. It states in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, for since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And in 1 Timothy 2.6, it says, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So if we believe that our ransom's guaranteed and we understand why it's guaranteed, that gives us a certain confidence that we couldn't otherwise have and it makes hope more of a reality. You know, David had complete confidence in God's victory. And we should have complete confidence in God's victory. And a correct understanding is so important because it creates a solid and valid confidence in what we believe. And the Phillips translation says it beautifully in Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith means that we have full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. So that's a perfect description of the helmet. Hope is based on faith. And it all works together to protect our outlook. So, so when facing when facing Goliaths, know the battle is the Lord's, that corresponding Christian armor of God, the helmet of salvation. So we want to take that helmet and use it. Now, David trusted that God would give him the victory. Our hope of victory comes when we trust God's promises as well. Jonathan, our final giant lesson for this segment. 
When facing the Goliaths in our lives, know the battle is the Lord. And Rick, when we were talking about this the other day, you mentioned there was a physical fight here against Goliath. This was a fight for life. The lesson of the battle was in the mind. How does that relate to us? You know, David's battle truly was in the mind. Because when you think about it, how did he defeat the giant? With a rock and a slingshot. So it was a battle of the mind to overcome the size of the enemy. And David took the tools that God had provided him that he was comfortable with and helped him use them to defeat the enemy. Well, guess what? In our lives, we are being trained. We are given tools. He is going to help us use the tools that he has given us to also defeat the enemy. We have to have our mind set the way David had his mind set. So the faith and courage that David displayed is uncanny. He was a pretty dramatic example of faith in action. David is now officially a giant slayer. Who would now join with him as he continued to serve God? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? After defeating Goliath, David was made a permanent member of the king's entourage. 1 Samuel 18.5 tells us David was appointed as supreme commander over all of Saul's army. This young man had proven his godly faith, loyalty, and courage, and now was becoming a household name in all of Israel. So his great faith produced great result. Now, it's during this time that David and Saul's son, Jonathan, formed a close and incredibly valuable friendship. Charles Kinsley once said, it's only the great-hearted who can be true friends. The mean and cowardly can never know what true friendship means. Well, the great-hearted David found this unlikely best friend, the son of the man who was so jealous and paranoid that he tried to kill David several times. So for our over overarching uh, lesson for this segment, it's going to be choosing the right friends can save your life in more than one way. Okay, choosing the right friends can save your life in more than one way. Jonathan, a quote from Charles Swindoll. A true friend is like a great tree that shelters us against the blast of lonely winds. True friendship is so incredibly, incredibly valuable. The friendship of David and Jonathan would come to epitomize, it really would come to epitomize true friendship. Both had unquestionable integrity and loyalty for each other. For Jonathan, meeting David was like friendship at first sight. And, you know, you go, well, well what, what about that? Well, you know, and, and we have to diverge just for a moment, because for folks, for, for those of you who don't know the history of, of Brother Jonathan and myself here, that's exactly what happened to us. You know, it is. The, the day we met, we became fast friends, and it was at a Bible seminar, and uh, I think that was the first time, Jonathan, you went to one of those seminars. It, it was. And I was the, the, the director, and I just, we started talking, it's like, hey, 
I like you. I want you to be my friend. <laughs> it was just, it was the strangest thing. You turned into 10 year old girls. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that, but what I would say is that there was a, a, a very, very strong camaraderie right from the first five minutes of conversation. It, it really did, Rick. And, and I was into popular music at the time and I thought, wow, Rick, looks like Cat Stevens. Um, but our connection came when we had our first honest and intense conversation. And it's so funny. We had that conversation. I had no idea you were in charge of the seminar. Yeah. <laughs> and then later I look at you go up and take over like, oh, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cat Stevens, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are kind of old. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Be that way. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to David and Jonathan in the scripture and, and examine this incredible friendship. First Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including the sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So you have this young man incredibly elevated, and Jonathan sees him and honors him dramatically. So you, you got to ask, well, what did Jonathan see in this low-born young warrior? Well, he saw faith. He saw courage. He saw loyalty. He saw passion. And here's the thing. He saw it all driven by a heart for God. You know, I really like that in verse 3 that Jonathan read. It said, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Rick and Jonathan, you've talked about covenants before in this program, and you'd come up with this definition. A covenant is a promise to transfer a stated intention into a reality. And it's usually made with a ceremony, and it invokes God. And, you know, marriage is an example of a covenant between two people. But God treats covenants in Scripture with utmost sacredness and importance. And this covenant friendship of David and Jonathan is thought to be the most fully described friendship in the Bible. So if you want to learn how to be a true friend, study this. And we're actually in the next couple of segments going to be looking at this because it's such a powerful tool. So besides the covenant, what did this friendship, uh, the friendship gestures of Jonathan reveal? There, there's, there's some things that are very important. Jonathan, what are they? Well, giving David his robe showed the giving up of a position. Jonathan gave his rightful place as next in line for the throne. He recognized David as God's chosen. See, that's incredible. He gave up his rightful place as next in line for the throne because he recognized who David was. Giving David his sword, bow, and belt, he arrayed David as a kingly soldier and protector of Israel. Amazing. The young, young man. Jonathan, you can see he's got great perception. We're going to dig into that as we go a little further. But here's the thing. You know, you say, wow, David's all set to take over Israel. Well, it would be about 20, another 20 years before David actually took the throne. It's this way the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. They both loved and honored God, even though the timing was not set in, not revealed to either of them. They just knew that they would be together here. 
Jonathan cared about godliness, and when we care about godliness over any position in life, our loyalty can then be pure. You know, and that's the thing. Caring about godliness is the way for loyalty to be able to truly develop and to and to congeal into something that's of incredible, incredible life-changing value. Loyalty that's godly is life-changing. It just is. So, sounds good. Everything's going well. David's doing well. And as good as things started out for David, they began to change after Saul and David returned victorious from a battle. The citizens of Israel praised the heroes and protectors of God's people. And we read this in 1 Samuel 18, verses 7 through 9. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now, Rick and Julie, Saul knew that his time was limited. His rage came against his own incompetence. Samuel, the prophet, told King Saul, God has left you. Well, Rick, in this scripture, do you think the women were purposely trying to offend the king with what they sang? No, you know, I think what they were doing is they're saying that we have got this greatness in front of us. Saul has killed his thousands, and he's found this young man who's killed his ten thousands, and this is all because God is protecting us, yay, I think that's what they were saying. And it wasn't to try to, to demean King Saul, but it's saying, look at what a great warrior King Saul has. And, but of course, Saul, because he's becoming paranoid, doesn't take it this way. And he says, he looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now, look, Saul would throw a javelin at David on at least three different occasions. Saul demoted David from being in command of 330,000 men to just 1,000 men. But David still stayed loyal. See, this is important. David stayed loyal. Even though he was over the entire army, Saul's becoming suspicious, so he pulls him back to being menial, and and David retains his loyalty. So, yeah, here Saul should have had the attitude of, look what an amazing commander I have in my army leading us all to victory. But his heart was already, you know, it was off because of his issues with, um, with his unfaithfulness. But according to 1 Samuel 18, 16, all of Israel and Judah loved David, and yet he could not be provoked into retaliation because he was loyal to Saul, the Lord's anointed. He waited for God's time to take the throne, no matter how threatening Saul became. Look at this demotion, you know, 330. Now he's, now he's basically sweeping floors, you know, is, is what the equivalent is. And he didn't care. It was okay. He was waiting. And see, that gives you a sense, again, of the heart of the young man, David, and how it was so clear on what was the most important thing and what wasn't. And in his mind, position wasn't the most important thing. Loyalty to God was the most important thing, and Saul had been God's anointed, and therefore that's where his loyalty was, and he just served in the best way he was able to be serving. See, loyalty, folks, loyalty is no small thing. It is a determination to stand with or for someone that is continually demonstrated, no matter what the circumstances. Through their friendship, Jonathan and David continued this fierce 
loyalty one for another. One instance of this covenant, this promise that they made to, to be faithful to one another as friends, to support one another, was in 1 Samuel 20, 13 to 17. We're going to go over that in the next segment. But there is another example of that in, se- in uh, 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because of the hand of Saul my father will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his own house. And you think, look, look at this. You will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. Jonathan knows that even though he's the son of the king, he's not the next king. And he's good with it. And that shows his heart, his, his godliness. I will be next to you. And he says, Saul, my father, also knows this. See, true loyalty fiercely and firmly protects the well-being of your friend. And here's an interesting side point. You know, David had multiple wives, at least eight of them, but only one covenant of friendship. Hmm. You know, and that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, and and you know, and they 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 supported each other through very difficult things. Jonathan, what's our giant lesson as we wrap up this segment? By themselves, godly faith and valor are formidable. When you add the inspirational and practical power of true friendship. You create a focused momentum that sustains you through drought and discouragement. It is so important to realize the power of friendship and fellowship and co-laboring because of the loyalty that binds you together. And if we see this example, it can really help us to accomplish so much more than we could have if we're willing to be vulnerable to another and to work with those others to help us along. See, Jonathan's friendship with David was transformational. It fed David's desire to always stand firm for God. Loyalty is powerful. How do you handle being in contact with those who would hurt your friend? Our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy-to-follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We Never sell or give away your information, and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy. So just send us a text and you'll be subscribed. While we're focusing on the life of David, we absolutely need to pause and consider the example of Jonathan. This man was extraordinary. We have already seen his dedication to God and to David in action. We will now see that loyalty be tested by the authority and power of his father, King Saul. Now, here's the thing you got to remember. Jonathan is the king's son, and he is loyal to the king's perceived enemy, and he's still loyal to his father. How do you do that? And we're going to develop that as we go. See, Jonathan had a godly loyalty and saved David's life by convincing his father not to have David killed. This is, this is remarkable to me. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and Jonathan, let's do 1 through 3 to begin. 
Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on the guard in the morning and stay in the secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. So so Jonathan tells David, okay, my father's plotting. I'm going to find out. Hide yourself and I am going to make sure that you know what's going on. So he's putting himself in a really precarious position by doing this. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Okay, so so pause there for a second, because Saul is got it in his mind to kill David. Jonathan, his son, is talking to the king and challenging the will of the king. Not only is he challenging, he's saying, hey, don't let the king sin against his servant David. So he's not only saying, you know, maybe you should reconsider your thinking. He's saying, dad, father, almighty king, don't sin against the servant, your servant David. And he gives reasons why. He's the one who struck down the Philistine. Um, he brought deliverance for Israel. You saw it and you rejoiced. And then he says it again. Why then would you sin against the innocent blood? So he is challenging his father, the king, who has all authority, and saying, don't commit a sin. That's a, that's a, that's a gutsy move for a young man. Verse 6. Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Jonathan's boldness on behalf of David worked. He, and Saul promised, okay, I, I won't put him to death. Jonathan boldly appealed to Saul's reason— and his godliness and morality, what was left of it. See, godly loyalty, this godly loyalty that Jonathan had, appeals to godliness. That's where you can get the best and strongest connection. Well, Rick, how did Jonathan honor his father, like the law said, and protect his friend at the same time? You know, it, that's an interesting question because he's, he's going against his father. We look at this and say, you know, he's, he's changing his father's mind. He honors his father by provoking his father toward absolute righteousness. So he honors his father by, by helping his father see goodness and what's right in God's eyes. He honors David and, and, and is loyal to David because David is going to be the rightful king and has done nothing wrong. So Jonathan supports righteousness in David to honor, to, to, to honor him, and, Dave, and, and Jonathan points out unrighteousness in his father, and that honors him. So that's an interesting combination of events there. Saul had made this promise, but it was short-lived. And, you know, that just seems to be Saul going downhill. Saul again pursued David, who went into hiding, and Jonathan was ready to do whatever he needed to do to help, and that's shown in 1 Samuel 20, verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And godly loyalty stands ready and willing to do whatever it takes to me, the most beautiful part of this relationship 
was how they both recognized and joyfully acquiesced to God's will. You know, Jonathan recognized it was God's will that David's family would be the chosen line of kingship. But for David, he waited patiently on the Lord for decades before he would become the rightful king. And this joy in the Lord is the core of their friendship. And I really see that as the core of your friendship between you, Rick and Jonathan, that's lasted decades, because your core is joy in the Lord and giving glory. And you don't see David and Jonathan commiserating about how unfair their individual circumstances are. They both waited for God to unfold what would be ultimately the best plan for them, and they wanted to stay in line with those plans. I look at myself. I want to be the kind of friend that constantly steers my friends towards biblical principles to find joy no matter what the circumstance. We can get caught up in feeding into an environment of selfishness and discontent with our friend when our friends come to us and say, oh yeah, oh, that's right. You should get him. You should do this and all oh, that. You were wronged. We need to always be pointing them upwards and using biblical principles. And that's the biggest friendship lesson that I took out of this podcast. And Jonathan is living this to his own personal potential harm and detriment. He is living this for the sake of his friend and for the sake of loyalty to God. It's an amazing experience of what Jonathan is doing here. We always talk about David, but boy, you've got to look at Jonathan here and say, this is, in, this is inspiring. Jonathan did not believe Saul wanted to kill David. So, you know, Saul's going back and forth, and Jonathan's like, he can't really want to kill him. He just can't. But he, he so... But he reminds him of their covenant. So he reminds David of their covenant again. Now we go, we were in 1 Samuel 19. Now we go to 1 Samuel 20, verses 11 through 17. This is from the Message Translation. And Jonathan, let's just do uh, 11 and what? 11 and 12, I think, first. Come outside, said Jonathan. Let's go to the field. When the two of them were out in the field, Jonathan said, As God, the God of Israel, is my witness, by this time tomorrow, I'll get it out of my father, how he feels about you. Then I'll let you know what I learned. So again, Jonathan is saying, I am going to protect you. I'm the only one who can because I'm the one who's closest to the king, and your life is of incredible value. I'm going to figure this out. He's putting himself out, and there's no reservation whatsoever in this. And here's what he says after to show how dedicated he is to this to this line of, of, of action. May God do his worst to me if I let you down. If my father still intends to kill you, I'll tell you and get you out of here in one piece. And God be with you as he's been with my father. If I make it through this alive, continue to be my covenant friend. And if I die, keep the covenant friendship with my family forever. And when God finally rids the earth of David's enemies, stay loyal to Jonathan. Jonathan repeated his pledge of love and friendship for David. He loved David more than his own soul. You know, Jonathan's godly loyalty boldly put himself on the line before his friend and before God. Everything was on the line. And he said, if I die in all of this, just please be loyal to my family. What, a, what an incredible, incredible example. Well, Rick, Jonathan didn't have to do this. No one would have known. So what can we as Christians learn from Jonathan's character? You know, some of our greatest tests of faithfulness are when nobody would know. And when you have those experiences in the quietness of whatever it is that's going on where others may not know, God looks at the heart. And Jonathan is a great example of this heart beating for God, this heart 
beating for loyalty to uphold the righteous principles. And so you're right. Nobody would have known if Jonathan didn't do all of this, but he knew the right thing. And even though the right thing may cost him his life, he didn't care. And that is an incredible example for us to, to step forward and do and be the right thing and be the right person. See, so now going further, Jonathan and David devised a test. A festival was starting when David did not show up for two days. Uh, Jonathan told Saul that David was in Bethlehem with his family. Well, he wasn't really there. But Saul now shows his true colors. Okay, this is going to bring out Saul's anger. 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 to 33. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of perverse, rebellious women, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. See, now this is important because Saul reveals that he knows the truth and that he's got a, a cognizant sense of the truth. He's saying, as long as this son of Jesse lives, you will not be king. Don't you understand that? Don't you understand that this guy is going to take everything away from you? So even of his madness, even in that, that utter, utter, utter paranoia, he understands and he knows the truth. And here's Jonathan's response, verse 32. But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. So there you have it. Jonathan's not sure that Saul's trying to kill David. Well, now Saul tries to kill his own son in his rage. True loyalty, true godly loyalty does not back down and will risk one's own life. This is the power of the loyalty of Jonathan that protected God's anointed. And just look at the sense of the give and take of this kind of friendship. Folks, it is incredibly deep and profound how these two were so, so cognizant of each other and just wanted the other to, to do everything they were supposed to. Now, Jonathan, like we said, truly comprehends David is in grave danger, and he warns him. They say goodbye, and again, repeat their covenant of loyalty to each other, and this is in 1 Samuel 20, verses 41 and 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed, while Jonathan went into the city. So, again, you see how much of the talking Jonathan does? He's, he's initiating the covenants, the conversations, the reminders, and it gives you the sense of, he's not the one going to get the glory, is he? It's all about, all about David fulfilling God's will. Jonathan is not the one to fulfill God's will, so what does he do? He helps the one who's supposed to fulfill God's will get the job done by protecting him, even if it would cost him his own life. And here's what happens. David becomes a fugitive now for about five years. He and Jonathan will only see each other once more shortly before Jonathan's death in battle. So this incredible loyalty has preserved David through a very difficult time, and Jonathan was the only one who could have done it. It could have cost him his life, but he did it anyway. Jonathan, what's our giant lesson here? Advice from a friend. We are not just friends when things are going our way, 
True, enduring, godly friendship and loyalty appear when life is having its most tenuous moments. We should see our important relationship as long-term God-based loyalty commitments. See, there's something powerful about seeing our friendships and our fellowship and trying to put them in the light of a David and a Jonathan with the seriousness of holding up our brother or sister toward the end that they can be faithful to whatever it is they are called to do. What an incredible example. Jonathan's example is profoundly inspirational. There is no time like the present for us to become Jonathans. We can see that godly loyalty protects life. How did David use this loyalty while separated from Jonathan? Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on the Bible study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions. You know, it's one thing to have loyalty to a friend, but it's another thing to be an example of and to provoke loyalty in others. This is not easy as the kind of loyalty we've been observing is far loftier than the average person is generally inclined to give. Still, when you have it, you should show others how it works. And Jonathan, there was a, 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 a great quote from, uh, I think, Samuel Taylor Col- Coleridge or somebody? Coleridge. Coleridge, okay. Friendship is a sheltering tree. And I thought that quote is just really beautiful and Pastor Chuck Swindoll has a post blog, a blog post at uh, insight.org from 2009, where he wrote this, borrowing that quote, but of all the trees God placed beside his choice servants, one human redwood looms the largest in my opinion. David was hunted and haunted by madman Saul, but between Saul and David, however, stood a sheltering tree named Jonathan. Loyal and dependable, Jonathan assured David, whatever you say, I will do for you. No limits, no conditions, no bargains, no reservations. And best of all, when things were at their worst, he went to David and encouraged him in God. Why? Because he was committed to the basic principles of a friendship, because he loved him as he loved himself. It was the kind of love that causes men to lay down their lives for their friends, as Jesus put it in John 15, 13. No greater love exists on this globe. So friendship is a sheltering tree, and Jonathan was the redwood. I love that. You know, and and when you realize the depth of being willing to give up your life for your friends, uh, Jesus said it so precisely and profoundly that greater love has no man than this, that a man may lay down, down his life for his friends. And then he next says, and you are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. So Jesus is saying, there's no greater love than this, and I have it for you. Stay with me. Be loyal to me as I am being loyal to you. What a powerful, powerful story that Jonathan brings us to show us a glimpse of the loyalty of Jesus. Jonathan, a giant lesson here. Advice from a friend. Associate with people who have similar morals and spiritual goals. Friends impact our lives. Keep those friends who encourage you to become godly persons. Disreputable friends can too easily corrupt you. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So bad company 
corrupts good morals. What we have is this sense of understanding the importance of being a friend, of having godly loyalty so that we can build others up. So, can, I, can I just say something really yeah, quick? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about this giant lesson, this advice from a friend about, you know, who you come, the, the company you keep is important. I was doing some weeding the other day and I realized that my lawn is more weeds than it is grass. And it's funny because it, that it, I saw the parallel that how easy the weeds take over and that's what happens when you when you associate with people that aren't pointing you upward, that aren't leading you to these godly principles. They creep in, and soon you become a weed just like they do. And the grass never overtakes the weeds. The weeds always take overtake the grass. Yeah. So be careful with that. You have to be careful with that. Now, you know, here, here's another very interesting thing. Um, Jonathan and David now are separated, and, and, and David is, is going to go it alone. He doesn't have that loyalty next to him and building him up now. So what's going to be happening in between? And also, uh, the Christian is admonished, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We need to be tied together to encourage spiritually, godly, so that we keep our focus. Yeah, and, and again, we need one another. If there's, look, if there's a lesson in the scriptures that talk about the need for one another, the Jonathan and David lesson is it. Pay attention. Here, go ahead, Jonathan. Remember the quote from our last episode, 1128? Everyone wants loyalty, consistency, and someone who will not quit. But everyone forgets that to get that person, you have to be that person. And and that fits so well with David and Jonathan. You look at the two of them, and, and they're like twins in terms of their ability to see God first and to pour that loyalty of God first into one another. So now, Jonathan and David are separated. So David is going to take that loyalty that has propelled him. What is he going to do with it? Here's what he's going to do. He's going to show it to others. In the next several chapters of David's life, he was on the run from King Saul. Twice, he had the opportunity to easily take Saul's life and claim the throne of Israel. And twice, he not only refrained from doing so, but he proclaimed he would not bring harm to the God's anointed. David's loyalty to God is unmistakable. So we wanted to switch gears just a little bit and do one more lesson of David. The first one was about the friendships, but the second is we're going to call it, you aren't in this alone. And an example of David living in a loyal and godly way was found in 1 Samuel 30. The Amalekites, another one of the bitter enemies of Israel, had raided one of the territories of Judah and they took many spoils. And they took all of the wives, all the women, the children, and they're holding them as captives. And David sees it as God's will to pursue them, and he needs to bring those families back. But he has 600 men, but 200 of them are too exhausted to fight. So David says, hey, you 200 stay behind and go ahead and guard the equipment. And this isn't the first time he did this. There's another, um, there's another point in the Bible where he does this same kind of thing. So what he's showing here is he's showing a very compassionate loyalty to those 200 men who are too tired to fight. They, they can't play the role that maybe would be ideal, but they can play the role that they're going to be able to play, and he realizes that. He doesn't push them harder than they're able to be pushed. So he's showing this incredible loyalty, and, he's, and it's going down, trickling down to his men. And I'm telling you, it came from the loyalty between he and Jonathan. Julie, go ahead. 
so with this victory in hand, because he did he did defeat these Amalekites, David was adamant that those who stayed behind to guard the equipment, even though they never fought, they never saw battle, that they would share in the plunder with those who did fight the battle. And the Bible says that there's these wicked and worthless men in David's army who said that, hey, they didn't do the fighting. They should receive nothing but their wives and children. But David was adamant in 1 Samuel 30, 23 to 25. Then David said, you must not do so. My brothers, with the Lord, with what the Lord has given, who has kept us and delivered us into our hand and the band that came against us and who will listen to you in this matter? For as he share is, for his share is who goes down to the battle. So shall his share be who stays with the baggage for they shall share alike. So it has been for that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel till this day. So not only did he do that at that moment, but he said, this, is, this ends up being the way we do things. We all share in the spoils of victory together. Whatever your part is, we all share it equally. There's an, how did he understand that kind of loyalty? Because he had a friend named Jonathan who was that loyal to him. And it had such an effect that he trickled it down to others. So the, 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 the wicked man said, well, this is ours. David said, no, 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 no. This is what the Lord has given us. There's a big difference. It's all with whose eyes are you looking? Are you looking with my own selfish eyes or through the eyes of godliness? They were all in this together and each had an important role to play, even if somebody's role seemed insignificant. David was able to see higher than that. What a great example. No wonder Samuel said early on, God has found a man after his own heart. This is coming through in a dramatic fashion here. Jonathan, what's our giant lesson? The body of Christ is all one, and even the little toes are important to God. David's integrity shines through in many of his actions and discussions based on faith in God. Only when we act according to godly principles can we be confident and eventually victorious. So again, for us, all members of the body of Christ are important. It doesn't matter if you're the one out front speaking and people are paying attention to, or you're the person way, 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 way behind. David set a standard that all are in the battle together. And folks, we need to be that way with our fellow Christians. We need to understand that weary or not, all of this all goes to the, for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God. So there's encouragement for the weary here. And C.H. Spurgeon was a British Baptist pastor who died in 1892. And in his last sermon, he spoke on what it means to have Christ as our captain. He compared Christ to David in that David stood up for the weak. And Spurgeon wanted to give comfort to those who were made to feel that they were the inferior members of the body of Christ. And I just, I love this next quote from his last sermon. He said this, you little faiths, you despondencies, you much afraids, you feeble minds, you that sigh more than you sing, you that would but cannot, you that have a great heart for holiness but feel beaten back in your struggles. The Lord shall give you his love, his grace, his favor, as surely as he gives it to those who can do great things in his name. What comfort. It is. It, it's, it's comfort, and it's the truth of the mercy of God, 
And David shows us that loyalty in, in action in a very, very plain and simple way in his life. And again, Jonathan and David had this incredible loyalty to one another where the other mattered more than me. And David just simply made that work again and again, further and further and further. So go ahead, Julie. So remember, our overall theme for this story about Jonathan and David was choosing the right friends can save your life in more than one way. And as we just saw from how David separated the men, uh, the 400 men and the 200 men, but they all received it, our lesson is you aren't in this alone. So what armor of God for the Christian does that match up with, Jonathan? Well, Ephesians 6, 16 tells us about the shield of faith. Bible commentary from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says, this particular type of shield was the large oblong door-like shield of the Romans, four feet long by two and a half feet broad. This shield offers a massive portable protection. It is an offensive weapon for pushing back at enemy, but it can also be lined up with other soldiers to create a wall of defense. We are on the battlefield with our fellow soldiers and fight together. There is safety within the fellowship of Christianity. Each soldier huddled together may have a different perspective on a situation. This gives us a better picture of the enemy we may be facing. It also calls upon us to listen to our fellow soldiers. We are protected together when in a place of vulnerability, a place where there are no walls. This shield is a portable wall, just like our faith should be. Do we carry our portable wall wherever we go? So, you know, the idea of working together, and, and again, in battle, and you know, battle is ugly, and we all understand that, and war is disgusting, and it's terrible, and, and with all the bloodshed, and, and David's example of working through those kinds of things is a powerful example because he shows us how to treat other soldiers with the greatest of respect, even if their role is not as great. And this shield of faith picture is magnificent because you literally— when when you and I uh, and are, are next to each other, we now have a mini wall. And if there's somebody behind us, they can put their shield over top. And now we've got a mini, a mini three-sided house kind of a thing where we can be protected together. And that's what faith does. And that's one of the great lessons from the, the, the life of David is the faith with which he was able to operate and that shows us as Christians how important our faith is in the bigger picture and in each other. And again, going back to that loyalty of developing the co-laboring and the loyalty and the fellowship so that we can be a Jonathan to somebody else. So as we wrap this up, David would become king after Saul and his son Jonathan are killed in battle. Okay, And again, it's many years after all of these things. All of the training in faith, courage, integrity, loyalty, wisdom, and compassion would be needed to rule Israel in a godly way. So, would David be perfect in all of that? No. Would he always find his way back to God? Yes. And that's really the important thing. You know, there's a lot to David's life. There's many missteps, and next week we're going to discuss some of those, but he'd always find his way back to God. Jonathan, the final scripture is a scripture. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You had something else? Yeah, I was thinking, was David faithful to Jonathan's family and his heritage after Jonathan was killed on the battlefield? Oh, man, absolutely. There is such a, a heart-touching story of David's faithfulness 
faithfulness to Jonathan's family. You just see that the covenant carries through. So yeah, that's a good question to ask here. And again, another evidence of a man after God's own heart. The final scripture, Jonathan, is the one you started us out with, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles uh, 14, 17. Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations. So David is going to become King David. He is going to be this mighty man that is a man of valor, a man of courage, a man of faith, a man of wisdom, a man of integrity that people look at as God-honoring and God-fearing. In our next episode, we're going to look at some of the missteps, not just missteps, the gross errors and sins that he committed, and yet he's still a man of God. How is that possible? What we need to understand about David is the core of his being. It was to honor God first. He had this friend, Jonathan, who in his early years, the two of them helped each other to stand up and to be able to fight the good fight of faith for God and for the people of Israel. That is how we should look at our Christian lives, fighting the good fight for God and for our Christian brotherhood. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, again, part two, what does it mean to be a warrior for truth? Coming up next week.